time to say, Lord, I've been away, but it's time to come home. And the thing that I love about the Lord is no matter how much we stray, when we turn back, He's always right there being like, I've been waiting for you to turn around. So I love about the Lord. Nobody gets it right all day. But when we realize that we're wrong, we turn around. He's like, yeah, I've been waiting for you to turn to me. Because He's a merciful God. He loves it. Have you ever wandered far from the Lord? then today's message is for you. Pastor Daniel is going to show us the never-ending compassion of the Father. No matter what you've done or where you've strayed, God is always right there waiting for you. He wants to forgive you. So whatever it is that's holding you back, throw it aside today. Turn and run into the waiting arms of the Father. That's all you need to do. He's ready for you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 4 as he continues his message called Listen Up. Verse 30, and when you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. I love that. See, God's judgment is always tempered by His mercy. See, God does not enjoy bringing the consequences of bad actions upon us. He wants to forgive. But we need, when we get away, we need to come back. And when we seek God with all of our hearts and with all of our souls and with all of our minds, and when we turn back to Him, then, then God will meet us. And I believe for many of us tonight, that's exactly what we need to do. We need to say, God, I'm turning back again. I'm coming back again, Lord, and I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey what your word says. I don't like it. I don't even know if I agree with it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because we show our love for God by our obedience. That's how we show it. And don't get me wrong, you might say, well, but I thought we're saved by grace apart from works. Yeah. But we're not saved unto no works. We're saved unto good works. The fruit of our salvation is obedience because we love to honor the apple of our hearts, the most important thing in our life. That's why the Apostle John said that God's commandments are not burdensome because we love to do the things that bless the people that we love, right? One of the things that I know When my bride has a busy week, if I bring home fresh flowers, it's always a good thing. You know, she just likes them. They look nice on the table. It makes her feel like it's pretty inside, all those different things. I remember when I was a single guy, I ain't ever going to buy my wife flowers. I mean, you kill them. Like, why would you want to kill beautiful flowers? Now I'm happy to kill those babies. (laughs) Because it makes mama happy. You know, it makes mama feel like I thought about her. And you praise God for convenience stores where they're nice and cheap and they still look nice. They last a while, you know? But I do that because I love my wife. I want her to know that I love her. 
And if it's a small gesture, because you get great joy from bringing joy to the people who you love. And so if you're here today or you're listening online or you got this on the app or however you're checking this out, you got to ask yourself if it's time to turn back and if it's time to seek the Lord your God. And if it's time to say, Lord, I've been away, but it's time to come home. And the thing that I love about the Lord is no matter how much we stray, when we turn back, he's always right there being like, I've been waiting for you to turn around. So I love about the Lord. Nobody gets it right all day. But when we realize that we're wrong, we turn around. He's like, yeah, I've been waiting for you to turn to me. Because he's a merciful God. He loves it. He loves it when we turn back to him. And so I just think for some of us, turning back to him is very, very important. Because if you continue down the road that you're going down, there will be consequences for those actions. There will be. Because every action has a reaction. Everything that goes on, there is a fruit of everything. Now, in verse 32, look what it says. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Verse 33. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God There is none other besides him. Out of heaven, he let you hear his voice, that he might instruct you on earth. He showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought them out of the land of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Now, I love this because Moses is reminding them now that they are a unique people, that they're not like everybody else. And he says, listen, you can go ask everybody. You can ask the people from back in the day. You can ask people now. Nobody has ever seen this. Nobody has ever seen a group of people who heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire. Nobody's heard them in that way. Or what Or did God ever try and take for himself a nation from another nation by these great signs and wonders? And he's recounting all that God did for the children of Israel in their leaving of Egypt and in the wilderness and as they're going to go into the promised land. See, he keeps reminding them, asking asking them these rhetorical questions, saying, you are absolutely a unique people. To you this happened. And I think sometimes, and if you think of the children of Israel... Isn't that the problem, that they didn't want to be unique? 
Do you remember by the time you get into 1 Samuel, God told the people, he said, look, you don't want a king because the king, he's going to take your money, he's going to enslave you, your sons are going to work, he's going to take taxes and all this stuff. They said, no, no, we just want to be like everyone else. We want a king. See, God wanted to be their king, but they wanted to be like everybody else. And for the people of God, the people redeemed by Jesus, those who are born again, who we're told that we're a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, all these things. Sometimes we just want to be like everybody else. But we're not like everybody else. We're different. We've been redeemed by God's mighty hand. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not the Spirit on the outside coming upon us from time to time, but the Spirit indwelling our lives and using our very bodies and our lives as a habitation through which God can move into the world. You are not like everybody else, brother or sister. You're different. And I know sometimes in our desires to conform and not be unique that we want to kind of take the light of the Lord and bury it under a basket. Instead of putting the lamp on the lampstand, we want to put it in the closet so nobody sees it. But you were created and recreated by Christ to shine brightly in a dark age. Don't be content with being just like everybody else. You're not like everybody else if you're in Christ. You are absolutely totally different because you have been completely forgiven of everything that ever has or will go on in your life and you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to be God's man or woman everywhere that you are if you're willing to be available. Don't be content to be like everybody else. The message of Jesus is extraordinary. I love talking to people about Jesus because the hope that is in Christ is the only hope in the world. And people say, I don't understand why you believe in Jesus. I'm like, I don't understand why. How could you not believe in Jesus? Think about what it says. It says that God is God and I am not. Is that true? Yes. It says that God is so perfect and I'm so not perfect. Is that true? Yes. And God still loves me and he wants to make me perfect. Isn't that like, how can you go wrong with that? Like, what's to be bashful about that? The God who knows everything about everything and is perfect and happens to be the most rad father that ever lived says, I want to adopt you into my family. And we're like, yes, it's kind of okay. <laughs> Listen, you're not like everybody else. Don't let anybody tell you just like everybody else. You're not. You've been adopted by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're different. See, the children of Israel were completely unique, but they didn't want to be. They were content to design their lives based on the lowest common denominator that had nothing to do with the true and living God. And I fear that for me and this generation, for many of us that we're saying, I just want to be like everybody else. I don't want to be unique. I don't want to be God's peculiar people. I just want to be peculiar like the Kardashians or something. You don't need to be on a TV show to be important. You don't need to have your face smeared all over the news. And even it's not your face. It used to be your face, but it's your face all done up with stuff. It's not, you know, it's like we live in a culture like that, which says that you, the way God made you isn't good enough. And the way that you age isn't okay and all this stuff. And that's just not true. But we have bought a lie because we live in it all day long. And if we do not ask the Lord by the power of the Spirit, because of the word of God, to kick against 
the goats to swim upstream. We're just going to end up, at some point you just give in and you go along with the way the world is going. We can learn a lot from our friends, the salmon. Swimming upstream is hard, but it's where the magic happens. Think about it. You'll get there. You'll get there. I believe God created the salmon just as a living epistle for you and I. Because it's hard to swim through. I've, listen, I've been over at, at the Oregon Fish Hatchery, and I've watched, like, me and my kids, if you've ever been there, it's right down, you can watch the salmon as they're trying to get up, and me and our kids are like, you can do it, you can do it, you know, and they got to jump over this thing, and they fall on back, and I mean, they get up there, and we start cheering, and Annabelle starts cheering, she doesn't even know what she's cheering at, because she's two years old, but she thinks it's great, you know, and then they fall back, oh, they went back, oh, I wish we could save, oh, you can do it, you can do it, my kids are so encouraging, and when they get up, they're like, And in a lot of ways, that's exactly what it's like being a Christian in this day and age. You have to swim against the current of the culture. Our culture is not like becoming more godly right now. You know, like, our culture is going the way of all the world. Like, every culture goes. And we can sit there and complain about it, but our Bible says do all things without grumbling and complaining, so that doesn't work. We can be apathetic and like Timothy Leary and the hippies. You can, you know, kind of drop out and fry out and all that stuff. How did that work? Didn't work so hot, right? Some of you are like, I don't even remember that, you know? Because you know it is. If you can remember the 60s, you weren't really there, right? I've heard that story, right? Or you can say, I'm going to follow the Lord and I'm going to swim against the current and I'm going to go upstream when the current's taking me downstream, and it's going to be hard. But as I said, when the salmon gets upstream, that's where the magic happens. You're unique, brother, sister. You're not like everybody else. Don't let anybody tell you you're just like everybody else. Because if you are here and you are alive and you are in Christ, you are absolutely a one of a kind. Part of God's special family. Before the foundations of the earth, God chose you. You, knowing everything you were going to do, he chose you and said, I want you to be part of my family. And that, my friends, is not a small thing. That is not a common thing. That is not something that we should be bashful about. And he reminds them about how much God loves them and how unique they are. And I love this because in verse 39, look what he says. He says, therefore... Know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. You notice that. And we find out that there is only one God There's no other God, and that we should keep God's commandments and statutes that it may go well with us. That's why, see, this is why God has positive things, things we should do, and negative things, things we should not do, because God wants things to go well with us. Again, when God says no to certain things, it's not because he doesn't love us. He says no because he does love us. And 
Like, as a parent, I see this with my kids all the time. My kids have these wild ideas of things that are fun that might really hurt. You know, like, I shared the story. I borrowed a friend's chainsaw, and I was out there with the chainsaw. Because I told you guys a story about the axe, right? And everyone's like, man, you're in the Northwest, Fusco. You got to get a chainsaw, you know? So I got a chainsaw, and I was like, whoa, that looks fun. Can me and Maranatha use that? Like, literally, that's his words, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm like, bro, I know it looks fun, but no, you and Maranatha can't play with that because you know what? You might lose an arm. He's like, really? I mean, you think you're cutting down that tree by massaging it? Like, what do you think's going on here, buddy? <laughs> but it looks fun. But if I really let Obadiah and Maranatha play with the chainsaw with each other, like, someone's going to end up in the hospital, right? So... When I say no, it's not because I don't love my, I just don't want them to, I don't want them to lose body parts. That's all it is. And when God says no, it's because he loves you enough, he doesn't want you to hurt yourself. And the problem is, is God knows better than us, but we think God doesn't know what he's doing. And there's so many, I mean, I could do this all day, and if you've been around crosses, you know I can do it all day. You know, I can talk about, we think this thing or this thing is really important, but God says do it this way, and this is why it works. But the reason God says no to certain things and yes to certain other things that seem illogical to us is because God wants things to go well for us. God wants you to be blessed, not hurt. So from there, it's interesting how this chapter ends because in verse 41 to 43, all of a sudden we have this kind of zooming out again. And look what it says. Then Moses set apart three cities on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun that the manslayer might flee there who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past and that by fleeing to one of these cities he might live, Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau of the Reubenites, Ramoth in Gilead for the Gadites and Golan in Bashan for the, uh, the Massites. Now, we get this idea of the city of refuge again and we get these three cities of refuge on the east side of the Jordan. So they're on the east side. So we just get this kind of reminder that there's going to be these cities of refuge where vengeance killings couldn't happen. This was like an early form. It was like a safe house. If something went on, and we've talked about this before. We looked at it in Numbers 35 and a number of other places. That when there was these places that if somebody was killed unintentionally, in that culture, vengeance killing was the norm. So if like, you kill my brother, I kill your brother. It's kind of like the mob or the movies about the mob. Like you kill my guy, I kill your guy and... You know, and we're not going to fight about it because he killed you and he killed him in, so it's over now. So in that culture, if that was the way justice was doled out, if something happened unintentionally, then somebody could go to one of these cities and have protection to find out if it was indeed an unintentional killing. And so we have these three that were placed on the east side of the Jordan. So Bezer was about 20 miles east of the northeast corner of the Dead Sea. Ramoth Gilead was about 30 miles southeast of the Sea of Galilee, and then Golan, which is about 20 miles east of the east bank of the Sea of Galilee. So these were different cities that people were protected in. And then in verse 44 to 49, we begin this second message. Look at what it says. So the first message began in chapter 1. It was kind of a historical prologue. And now in verse 44, it says, Now this is the law which Moses set before the children of Israel, 
These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which Moses spoke to the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt on the east side of Jordan in the valley opposite Beth Peor in the land of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, whom Moses and the children of Israel defeated after they came out of Egypt. And they took possession of the land and the land of Og, king of Bashan, two kings of the Amorites, who were on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, even to Mount Sion, which is Hermon, and all the plain on the east side of the Jordan as far as the sea of Arabah, below the slopes of Pisgah. So what we have here, and if you've ever studied theology or the Bible, you've heard of something called a source theory, which means that the belief that the, the first five books, what we call the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses were written by multiple authors and compiled later, right? And so the reason that people came up with that theory, and it is a theory because we really don't know, it doesn't say, is that you notice how all of a sudden it's kind of like in verse 44 for the second address, it's like it starts all over again, right? It's like all of a sudden it's like, now this is the law, and it's like it goes back over where they were, that they were in the land of these kings and all this stuff. And you say, well, why did they back out again? Now, the common church belief is that Moses wrote the first five books. That's why it says in your Bible, the five books of Moses. But you know what? The actual texts never say that. A title that someone put on later. Now, I'm not saying Moses didn't write it. I'm saying we don't know who wrote it. And so because we don't know who wrote it, you end up with source criticism. And this is why. Because you notice how it just, all of a sudden, it's like it stops and it comes out and it tells us the same thing again. There's a lot of redundancy, and that's where it comes from. Now, I'm not saying I agree with source criticism. I know some people here think that you talk about source criticism, that's like you don't really believe the Bible. I don't believe that either. I believe that, but when you look at the text and you see what the text is saying, you say, oh, maybe there were multiple authors. Like, does it matter if Moses wrote them all or if five other inspired people wrote it and they compiled it later? I mean, nobody really believes that Moses is unique. Moses was used by God. And our Bible is full of lots of authors. Paul writes in Paul's style, but he was inspired by the Spirit. The Apostle John writes in the Apostle John style and was inspired by the Holy Spirit. See, any donkey can be moved with the Spirit to be used in a mighty way. Like, my thing with it is, I don't know who actually wrote it, but I know that I don't want to trust Moses as far as I can throw Moses. I want to trust the true and living God, and the true and living God uses people however he chooses to do it. And so it's just interesting that in this second address, it pulls us out again. It tells us that we're getting the law, the testimonies, the statutes, the judgments, which Moses spoke to the children of Israel. And they're on the east side of the Jordan, and they're in this land of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, Og, the king of Bashan. And if you still travel with us through the book of Numbers, we saw that a number of times, right? We kept going back, these guys. And then in the beginning of Deuteronomy, we're talking about these guys again, and now we're talking about them again. But we get what's happening, who's it happening with, and the location. Jesus is In today's message, Pastor Daniel shared with us the only antidote to the righteous judgment of God. The only way to escape is to repent and turn back to God. When we seek Him, we will find Him. Moses reminded the people that they were a peculiar people. God had dealt with them in a unique way. And because of that, they are to stand out in the world. 
Just like the Israelites, we're called to be a light in the darkness. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will bring us a clearer idea of what it means to be in covenant relationship with God. Each covenant God made was intended to reveal that God is holy and we rely on His grace. The covenants are the terms of the relationship with God. They tell us who God is and how we're to relate to Him. Be sure to come back for this refresher of the covenant with God. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through his series called Refresh. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.